Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. We're in the middle of a, uh, or just getting going in a, in a series called Marriage and Sexuality. And I have no idea how many uh, parts there are to it. I agreed that I was going to uh, speak for at least three weeks, but I can see that this series uh, is going to take a little bit longer than that. And there's some very, very exciting pieces to the series coming, and you won't want to miss one of them um, as we move forward. So uh, if, if you happen to miss a, a Sunday or something, make sure you go back and, and uh, listen to what's uh, uh, what's online because uh, there will be surprises coming along the way and I won't be warning you ahead of time and uh, and uh, some of you know already what I'm talking about we're going to bow for a word of prayer last week we were talking about marriage and sexuality part one the institution of marriage and in the, uh, and I'm going to begin this uh, this particular uh, morning uh, with answering the question of the mystery of marriage unveiled. We'll be talking about that in just a moment. Uh, but before we do, I'm going to I'm going to have some I'm going to have some th- uh, things to talk about before we get to that. That came out of a question or a couple of questions that I had from last week, and then we're going to get into the mystery unveiled. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, we just ask you, and we invite you now uh, to teach us. Your ways are truth, your ways are life. And we have found that when, we've, when we do things the way you designed them, we find the life that we've been looking for all along and the fulfillment that we're looking for. And so I just pray that this series, in this series, when the, when the enemy, the devil, would, would have this series to be about condemnation, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd turn what he means for, for bad and turn it into something good. Uh, that's life-giving and causes people to turn to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The question from last week, a very, very, very good question. It came actually in two ways from two different, uh, two different uh, people. And this was a question if basically summarized this way. If undermining marriage has such devastating consequences on children, then what hope do I have for my children? That's a great question, isn't it? And so I just want to give, uh, I, in fact, I typed out an email to one particular parent, and, uh, and then I felt like I was supposed to share the gist of that content with you here. And I, I told this particular parent that I was going to be doing that. Now I want to give you hope. But the first, uh, there, there's, there's, there, there's some principles here. And the first principle that we want to remember is that all marriage partners have sinned and damaged their marriages. Can we just agree on that? Can we just agree on that? Everybody is a sinner. There is no non-sinning spouse. There's no such a thing. We're all in the same boat in that sense. We're all broken. That's why Jesus had to come, uh, to die on the cross for our sins, not only for the forgiveness and removal of, uh, of the guilt of our sins, but also to make us whole. And uh, there's things in the cross that we find, some of them we'll talk today, that help us to reverse the curse 
in the relationships and in marriage. And that's what we'll be talking about. So there's no exceptions. All of us are included in this. This is what it means for us to live in a, a world broken by sin. We've all sinned and we're all self-centered and broken. We're, uh, some may be more on the, you know, maybe demanding or domineering or argumentative or use hurtful words. Be ne or some are neglectful or emotionally or physically abusive or sexually prom uh, promiscuous or whatever the, the situation is. However, just like some automobile accidents cause minor injuries while others cause life-threatening injuries, so too some sins in a marriage cause more damage to family members than others. Frequency has a lot to do with it. The kind of sin has a lot to do with it. Um, a, a spouse, as an example, a spouse uh, who, if, if, he, if, I, if I say something hurtful to my wife, that's hurtful if I do that one time. But if I go and I have an affair on my wife one time, is that more hurtful and damaging? Yes or no? It's a no-brainer. All right. Second, marriage is also being undermined by other factors. Marriage isn't just being undermined by no-fault divorce, for example. Last week I mentioned other causes such as cohabitation, same-sex marriage, and re-education. But marriage has also been undermined, and we'll be talking about that more a little bit later, and I don't mean today, pornography, premarital sex, and adultery. Huge on all three. Number three, <clears throat> there, are, there is such a thing as an offending spouse and a betrayed spouse. And if you've been hurt in something, I don't want you walking out of here with condemnation. You didn't get that from me or from God. If you go out feeling like that, then remember it's the enemy who's doing that. Jesus said he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Is that true? If we're all condemned, then why did we meet today? Let's go play on the soccer pitch together. Why spend any time here together? There's no hope anyway in that case. So uh, that's very, very important. Jesus and, and, and the Apostle Paul both made allowance <clears throat> to leave certain uh, marriages because the marriage has been seriously violated. And by the way, that's important for children at the appropriate age to understand that. It's not all the same. Are we, are we, do we all sin in a marriage? Yes or no? Yes. But that doesn't mean there isn't an offending or a betrayed spouse. There are certain sins that do such damage that finally the betrayed spouse, the victim, has to may have to uh, cut it off. Number four, hurt family members will need intentional healing. I can't stress this enough. The need for intentional prayer, ongoing forgiveness, inner healing increases dramatically. If, for example, a person is in an automobile accident, it doesn't mean they have to necessarily die from their injuries, correct? However, it does mean that you have to intentionally address those injuries so that infection doesn't set in and kill them and kill you. Isn't that true? Maybe the accident didn't kill you, but the infection will if you don't do something with it. The same thing is in a marriage and in relationships. 
uh, parents, your words, your reactions, your attitudes about former spouses, as well as modeling intensified prayer, intentional forgiveness, and intentional inner healing, will speak volumes to your children. If they see it doesn't work for you, they won't be healed either. If Christ's gospel doesn't work for you, it won't work for them. Does that make sense? In which case, they will probably become part of the wrong statistic. And that's why I say that. Number five, Christian youth need to be, and that's why I loved the thing about the camp there, it was all about the youth, need to be actively involved and engaged in youth ministry. They, like all of us, need strong community. Why? They are at an age when they are designed to begin preparing to disengage from family and become independent. That's how God designed it. It will be important that that they have a spiritual family apart from their natural family where they can connect and be influenced for God. This is particularly true in today's world, which is trying to pull them away from God. But parents, you must model this by actively engaging in Christian community yourself. And by that, I mean more than going to church on Sunday. That is not engaging, that's listening. Engaging is when you become part of a small group, and now you start to minister, you give and you receive. You don't just receive, you give. And then you get involved and you begin to serve. And your kids need to see that. So you have to do it. Parents must also guard their children's uh, schedules from being packed with extracurricular activities so that they don't have time for youth. This is more critical than you realize. Church is not the optional add-on. Parents, your number one responsibility is to raise godly children for God. That's what Malachi said. You will answer, you and I will answer to God whether we made that a priority in their lives or not. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is we have to be very intentional about this. Number, number six, stats are just that, stats, averages. True, when marriage is undermined, it negatively impacts innocent spouses, children, and society, as we said last week. But if I use a stat like 60% in a negative sense, that means that 40% will not be affected in a negative sense. Is that true? So your kids aren't necessarily damned for eternity because something went wrong. However, there's something more that needs to be said. We we have hired on our staff many years ago, two women, both divorced. I asked permission from them both today. I got permission from one and not from the other. The the, the second one um, probably hasn't even seen it. And so I'll have to ask for forgiveness after. But, the first one responded like in 30 seconds. And uh, we hired two divorced women many years ago on our staff. They're still there. They were both betrayed by their spouses through desertion or sexual infidelity. Both raised wonderful, godly children alone. And both, yes. That's no small task. 
and both have had impacting ministries here at Southland, we wouldn't want to be without them. They're that special. However, they'll tell you it wasn't easy, and they had to be intentional in their own healing, in connecting with Jesus daily in the word and prayer, in engaging in church community, and connecting their children to the church as well. Those four things. So there's hope through Christ and his church, amen? But you can't just drift with the current. You have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. I, I received this from one of those women, and um, uh, her name is Grace Hebert. Awesome minister and pastor in our church, wouldn't you agree? And she said this, I can't, this, she sent this this morning, so I just wrote it in. She said, I can't imagine living the life I've lived without Jesus. It would be unlivable. Isn't that something? So, is there hope? And the answer is, <laughs> of course there is. That's why Christ came. Otherwise, we're all hopeless. But you can't just drift down the river or the, and let the current take you wherever. You've got to deal with these things intentionally. And number seven is the final one. Is there any hope for the offending spouse? And the answer is, yes, there is. However, it comes by way of confession and repentance to God. Next, you have to repent to your betrayed family and church. If you pretend or deny that you did, uh, that you did no wrong, God and the others will know anyways. And the only person you'll be hiding from is yourself. So your pretense will drive the offended family members away from you and it will open the door to demonic spirits in your family. And I'm going to give an example from my own life. Maybe next week, or the week after, or somewhere, all right? And we'll, we'll have other examples. You, you'll hear more. Uh, so, God has designed things to give us life, amen? And if we follow His ways, we'll experience life. But if we don't follow His ways, we'll experience death in ourselves, in our relationships, and in our relationship with Him. And so that's important. Well, uh, last week we talked about the institution of marriage. We said that God made someone fit for a man. For man. It was a very good answer. God marked it with a memorable, uh, memorable event, and it was called a marriage. God protected marriage with a covenant. And the covenant has a couple of purposes, at least, that we discuss, uh, discuss. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. Marriage is a covenant be before community. And marriage is a covenant witnessed and overseen by God, meaning he is ensuring that that thing is being held to protect other innocents, like spouse and children, from harm, and to hold the marriage together until the glue of mature love sets and cements the relationship. That was last week. And some of you are thinking, why didn't you say it that quickly? And this uh, morning, we're going to talk about the mystery of marriage unveiled. Ephesians 5.31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become what? One flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The word mystery does not necessarily refer to something difficult to grasp, 
but to something previously hidden from people, but now revealed by God. Ephesians 1.9 says that, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. And there's a bunch of mysteries that Paul unveils and declares through the gospel of Christ in the New Testament in his Pauline epistles. But we're just going to be looking at one today. Paul, quoting Genesis 2.24, which, which, which no doubt some of you recognize, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two will become one flesh. We read this already, but I'm going to, I'm, uh, there's a reason I'm rereading it. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul says that man and woman becoming one, uh, one in marriage is a mystery. And he immediately adds, I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the mystery of marriage is somehow connected to Christ and the church. The answer for that is found in the relationship between Christ and the church. So let's uncover the mystery. There's two parts to it. The first one is called the pattern for marriage. When Paul said that he was referring to Christ and the church, Paul was pointing back to what he had said earlier about Christ and the church in verse 25. Now, we were just reading in verses 31 to 32, but if you go back to verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wife, what? What's that big word? It's two letters. As Christ loved the church, and what? Gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for her. Say that together with me. Gave himself up for her. That's incredible. So let's take back and get the context here. Last week I said that God's provision and protection of marriage through covenant was necessary to hold the marriage together until the mature glue of biblical love set and cemented the man and woman together. It is this biblical love glue, for lack of a better term, that we're now going to talk about. And the model for that is pictured in Christ. What did he do for us? He loved us. How did he love us? By giving himself up for us. That's how he loved us. Consider this. There are four kinds of love expressed in the Greek language. We're not going to spend a lot of time there, but the first one is agape. It's a sacrificial love. It's a giving action. Then there's the phileo, or friendship love. Then there's the storge, or protective love. You know, the kind of love that a parent has for a child, as an example. And then there's eros, romantic love, or feelings. So we have action in the first one, in agape, and we have feelings in the last one. Marriage is the only relationship that blends all four loves. Is that amazing? But it begins with the first one. That's the foundational one, agape love. It's a sacrificial giving love. Jesus the Son, though equal with the Father, gave up his glory and took on human nature, according to Philippians chapter 2. He willingly went to the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, removing our guilt and condemnation so we could be united with him. He died to his own interests and looked instead to our needs and our interests. 
And by giving himself up for us, he brought us into deep union with him. And now Paul says, we're supposed to do the same. We're supposed to do the same. Give up our own rights for the sake of our spouses in the same way that Christ did for us, the church. So you wake up the morning after your wedding, young people, and you ask, what do I do now? So what do you do now? You begin by dying to your own self-centered desires of what your spouse can do for you, and you begin to think as you're lying in bed of what you can do for your spouse. That's what Jesus did. That's the pattern God has for your marriage. This is where most marriages have gone wrong. Most of us married for what we were going to receive, not what we were going to give. That certainly was true for me. I didn't marry to serve Fran. That never even occurred to me. I married for what I would receive, and I could hardly wait. I wouldn't have articulated it that way, but in hindsight, it is very easy for me to see. It's, in fact, obvious to me. I married Fran for eros, or romantic love, you still have that up on the screens, and storge, or friendship love. I married her for self-fulfillment rather than for self-denial to serve my wife. In other words, I did not marry her for agape love. That never occurred to me. I would take some, it would take some time until I learned the truth about marriage that it begins with and is rooted in agape or sacrificial love. I'm still learning that. And that was the pattern set by Jesus Christ himself. He gave himself up for her. We are to do the same. Every single marriage problem, every broken marriage, is rooted in a violation of the pattern of self-sacrifice that Jesus exemplified for us. Does that make sense? Every single marriage problem that you have, and that there is, is actually situated in this problem. We're not following the pattern for marriage that Jesus laid out for us. That's part of the mystery being unveiled. Uh, I heard this testimony by a pastor, a very famous pastor, I won't mention him by name. And he said this one day, he asked his wife to iron his shirt for him for the following day, this is some years back. She softly said, you have hands, you go and do it. It was a big blow for his eagle. So the next day, he repeated the request in an even stronger tone. With even more firmness and authority, she replied again, You have hands, you go and do it. Pastor F was completely unsettled about this. He prayed and told the Lord, God, I am unsettled because my wife is not submitting to me. Help me, Lord. I'm losing authority in my home. And immediately, he says, he heard God whisper, do you want to be in an authority in your home? Of course, Lord, he responded. The Holy Spirit asked, Who's the person with the most authority that you know? Well, Jesus Christ, Pastor F answered. Well, how did he get this authority? Being served or serving? 
oh, serving, Pastor F said. Well, whom did he serve? His church. He even washed his disciples' feet and told them, I've not come to be served but to serve. Then the Lord told Pastor F, go and do the same with your wife. He began to change his behavior. He brought coffee to his wife in bed. And a week later, with such sweetness, she came up to her husband and said, My love, what do you want me to get ready for you for tomorrow? <laughs> Is it true? To be sure, just because you give up yourself for your spouse is no guarantee. And some of you are sitting here and you're saying, yeah, well, I've been sweet to my spouse and that did not happen next week. In fact, it didn't happen next year. It didn't even happen the next decade. And you may be right. That's not why you do it. Not everyone that, did, let me ask you this question. Did Jesus die for the sins of the world? Yes or no? Just yours and mine? Or all the sins of the world? Does he want all to come to know him? Yes or no? Did he give himself up for all? But will all receive it? And will all respond? No. And just because your spouse doesn't respond doesn't mean that that's not how you're supposed to do it. And when we follow him, you know, uh, Jesus told us that we we're to die to ourselves. Is that true? He said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. Die. And when we follow Jesus, guess where he goes? He takes us right back into our miserable marriage. And he says, die there. I'm not saying all your marriages are miserable. I'm just, some of you are going. <laughs> some of you are thinking, I was going to say amen until he said that. <laughs> My wife is sitting right next to me. <laughs> There's a second part to unveiling the, uh, this mystery. Not only did Jesus set the pattern, he gave us the power. He gave us the power. You object, if I just give and don't get anything back, I won't be able to survive myself. I'll just die inside. And you have a point there. You are right. There is, there is something to what you're thinking and what you're saying. You'll just shrivel up and die. But there is a solution. Listen carefully. The experience of hard times in marriage, or life for that matter, by the way, maybe you're having a really tough time in your marriage and you think you're all alone in this thing and everybody else has, has just great times in marriage. And maybe, maybe one marriage, that you, this marriage that you're looking at and that marriage, maybe they're doing very fine in there. But if you look hard enough at their lives, you'll find that there's another place where they're struggling that you're not. You see, God has designed it in such a way that he doesn't take all our struggles away. And do you know why? A woman came to me in the lobby the first week I was back, and, and we had this really nice discussion in the lobby, and she said, you know, I've been wrestling with a sin. She didn't tell me what it was. I didn't need to know. 
for years, and I, it's always there. And I said, you know, I've learned something over the years. God doesn't take everything away. Because if he took it away immediately, we wouldn't go back to him. Is it true? He allows certain things that put us in a position where the only way we can survive is if we dig our, let our roots go down deep till they find the refreshing waters of Jesus himself. Is it true? Yeah. You see, we're not living for today. We're living for eternity. Your marriage, your relationships, your health, your finances, your whatever, it's not about today. It's about tomorrow. The great tomorrow. Eternity. He's preparing us for eternity. So, the experience of hard times should drive us further into Christ for strength, but it doesn't with everyone. Some choose to, and some choose not to. So what do I mean by that? You know, we say that, and uh, I, I, I refer to Grace Hebert and what she said. This is what she was talking about, exactly what we're going to be talking about now. Let's first see how Jesus was able to give himself up for us. He didn't just give up uh, himself for the church and then say, do likewise. He even showed us how he received the power to be able to do that. I want to ask you a question. When Jesus gave himself up for us, was it easy or hard? Hebrews chapter 12 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him so that you do not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, he's saying, by looking at Jesus, then you won't get weary because you haven't faced anything like what he faced. That's really what he's saying here. You and I have never faced what he faced. In your struggles against sin, he says, for example, you have never resisted to the point of shedding blood, have you? And the answer is, no. So was it hard for Jesus, yes or no? Yes. We can see more of that in Acts chapter 4, verse 26 to 27 as well. So then, how did Jesus endure it? By the power of the Spirit, that's how. At his water baptism, the Spirit came down upon Jesus. You remember that in Luke chapter 3. Then the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And then when the 40-day period of testing and, and temptation was complete, he returned in the power of the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 14 says that. And soon after that, Luke records that Jesus was attending a synagogue on the Sabbath and see what it says about what happened there. Here's what it says. As was his custom, we should learn from that, by the way, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and we should too go to church. That should be our custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, quoting Isaiah, because he has anointed me to do four things here. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, captives number two, the recovery of sight for the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he did that in a physical sense, but he also did it in a spiritual sense. Would you agree? He often used those physical things 
to illustrate the spiritual truth behind it. Like when he fed the 5,000 and then he said, uh, and then he taught them about the living bread. Remember? He said, you're not just supposed to live by physical bread, but by spiritual bread as well. He would, he would do that all the time. And here he says, I've come to do these kinds of things, these spiritual things, to, to, give, to, to give spiritual sight to the blind as an example. And I've done it by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? And when he finished reading, he said, uh, it says, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what the uh, prophet Isaiah was prophesying, I'm the one who he was prophesying about. The Spirit is on me, and what I do, I do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus claimed that all he came to do, he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Recall that Jesus, was, uh, Jesus uh, giving up himself for us is the pattern for marriage. And here scripture tells us that the power by which Jesus gave himself up for us, uh, through or by means of the Holy Spirit himself, that's how he did it. Jesus accomplished what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, that's how we are supposed to do it. If you look at the whole matter of a pattern of marriage, you know, give yourself up for your spouse, you will wither and die if you just do part one. You won't be able to do it. I won't be able to do it. And uh, we would expect that uh, then that the same power must be available for us if we are to, have pat uh, are to pattern our marriages according to the pattern laid down by Jesus. And that's precisely what we find right in the context of Ephesians 5, the very passage that we're discussing. Did you know that marriage is discussed in the context, this laying down and giving up ourselves is, is actually spoken of, this pattern is spoken of in the context of the Holy Spirit. In this passage, we'll see it. Paul shows us the tight connection between marriage and spirit filling. He begins with a command to be continually filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit, that's the imperative. And then next, using four participial phrases, Paul lists four effects of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There are many more effects, but Paul lists four. Being, be being filled with the Spirit. And number one, one of the effects is you'll be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Number two, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And it won't just be singing, it will be coming out of your heart. Did you know you can't praise God without being filled? I mean, it, it can't come out of your heart, is what I'm talking about. Giving thanks, always for everything. Being grateful, as Stefan talks about. And then lastly, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul expands on what submitting to each other looks like and immediately goes to marriage. For the wife, it means this. And for the husband, it means this. That's incredible. Paul says controversially that wives should submit to their husbands. Immediately, however, he tells husbands to love their wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
which is, if anything, a stronger appeal to abandoned self-interest than was ever given to the woman. Humanly speaking, it is impossible for two self-centered human beings in a marriage to submit to and give up themselves for each other. Would you agree? You want to know why marriages are falling apart? Because they can't actually put all over in our culture, because they can't actually do this. They can't actually practice the pattern Jesus gave. Because you can only do it by the power of the Spirit. The pattern that Christ modeled, in other words, is humanly impossible. Yet that's precisely what he tells us to do. Thankfully, Paul shows us how. Only by being empowered by the Spirit, as Jesus was, do we have the power and ability to do it. So, what is it about the filling of the Spirit that allows a husband and wife to give up themselves for each other? Now, we're going to just dig down a little bit deeper here. Right here is where so much of the worldwide church has been derailed. Because whenever the worldwide church, and I don't mean every church by, by any stretch of the imagination, but many churches, when churches talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit, they're usually linking it with tongues and such. Well, that's fine. It is an effect. But that is only one effect of the filling of the Holy Spirit. There are many effects from being filled. Many effects. And uh, we'll see it up on the screen right now. It's so much more to worship and love God from the heart, according to Ephesians 5.19. In that very passage we looked at, verse 20, to be truly grateful in all circumstances. You can't do that without... Uh, being empowered by spirit to overcome temptation and grow in spiritual freedom uh, Matthew chapter 3 to boldly witness Acts chapter 4 you can look these up to fulfill a particular calling or task to be filled with joy peace and hope to be able to answer when arrested for Jesus sake to remain faithful in martyrdom in Acts chapter 7 did you know that when uh, what it says about Stephen Stephen was about to be stoned Do you remember the story in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, it says, And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. And that was just as they were about to stone him. You can't, you can't go into martyrdom without being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you think you need the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues, boy, for martyrdom, how much more do you need it? Would you agree? We, we've got two... Too sidetracked on this thing. It's not just one thing. The, the filling of the Spirit is just a powerful thing. We need it. We need the Spirit's fullness for every part of the Christian life. So what is it in giving up yourself for your spouse that you will need the Holy Spirit's fullness for? Strength. You and I will need divine strength to give up ourselves for our spouse. Would you agree with that? And to hang in there if our spouses don't respond or walk out on us or do whatever. So what are these two elements from the Spirit that will give you such divine strength? The first one is God's experiential love through the Holy Spirit. It all begins with God's love. Now, do the persons of the Trinity love one another? Yes or no? 
They certainly do. In John, Jesus, said, uh, Jesus was praying in John chapter 17 for his disciples just before he was going to die. And as he was praying for them, he prayed this. He said, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. That's the second time he's already said that the Father has loved him. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me, there's the third time he's saying it, maybe in them and I in them. Three times he says it. The Father always loved the Son, the Son always loved the Father, and the Son always loved the Spirit, and they glorify each other. That's what the Trinity does. Love is in the Trinity. God is love. You can only say God is love if there's actually more than one person. Because love can't exist without there being a recipient. There has to be a giver and a recipient. And in the Trinity, there's perfect love between the members of the Trinity. Isn't that amazing? And they glorify each other. And at the, so at the heart of the universe, in the triune God, there's real, genuine, selfless love. Always has been, always will be. Aren't you glad? The sun will lose, it, the sun continues to lose its energy, but God will never quit being love. And loving. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? He will always love you. Everyone on planet Earth is looking to be loved. Would you agree? Is there any chance of breaking into that perfect circle of love that exists between the three persons of the Godhead? And the answer is yes. Look, look back at uh, the second part of verse 26. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them too. God invites us into the, his circle of love in the dance of love between the Trinity, he invites us into that circle. Is that amazing? Can you imagine being part of a family where there is only an always perfect love? That's incredible. When you become a Christian, a Christ follower, you get invited into the circle of the triune God's love the dance of love wow wow jesus even prayed for us to experience god's love john 17 says may they be brought to complete complete unity to let the father know that you sent me and i have loved them even as uh, as you have loved me i made known to them your name and i will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them twice he prays for us to be loved with god's love Three times he said, Father, you've loved me, and now the same love you have for me, I want it to be in them. And he, said, and he prays it twice. Incredible. Paul prayed the same, uh, same thing and linked God's experiential love then with our strength. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that he may grant you to be, what's the word? What's the word? strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being 
Do you need to be strengthened in your inner being? If your marriage is floundering, do you need to be strengthened? Do you wake up hopeless? Do you say it's not going to work? Do you need to be strengthened in your inner being? Paul was praying that they would be strengthened in their inner being by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what was it that he was specifically praying for them to experience? Love. Take a look. So that being rooted and grounded in love, and I put the, in brackets, experiential love, because it's at this point, you don't want theoretical love. Is that true? It's experiential love. That's what changes you and I. You may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses what? Come on, help me, church. Surpasses what? Knowledge. Knowledge. Do you know what that's saying? He's talking about it's a, it's a love that surpasses knowledge. If it surpasses knowledge, it has to be experiential. Is it true? And Paul is praying for the Ephesians to experience that because he says that's what's going to strengthen you. If you experience God's love, you will be able to give like Jesus did. That's what he's saying. Wow. Incredible. Oh, how unsearchable the riches of Christ. God's experiential love gives us strength to keep on going. Wouldn't you agree? The psalmist said that God's love was better than life. Look what he says in Psalm 63. He said, oh God, you are my God. Oh, we sing that one, right? Oh God, you are my God. That's the one. Comes right out of here. I'm better than the team. Earnestly. <laughs> Just checking if you're listening. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water because your steadfast love is better than what? My lips will praise you. David says that without God's experiential life, life isn't even worth living. And I meet people all the time, I meet believers all the time who say, I can't go on. You're right, you can't go on. It is too hard, whatever the circumstance that you're facing, and maybe it's in your marriage. But with God's love, experiential love, that surpasses all knowledge, you can go on. <laughs> you say, well, I don't have the love of my spouse. You know what? You don't need the love of your spouse. You need the love of Christ. You were made by him, and you were made for him. And if you sink your roots deep down into him, you will be able to do what he asked you to do. Amen. Is it true, church? Oh, my, it's true. Here's the second one. I've got to hurry on. Otherwise, they won't sing the ending song. It's always embarrassing when they say, Go, we're out of time. What they mean by that is the preacher went too long. Here's the second element that will give you divine strength. They did it last week. God's joy through the Holy Spirit. Not just his love, but his joy. 
when your heart is so full of God's experiential love that, uh, that you can sing, isn't it true that you can do almost anything then? When you're just so filled with joy, you just, <sighs> I get giddy sometimes. Uh, that's, what, that's the only way I can express it. And sometimes I'll just come out of my office and I'll just go around somewhere and I'll just say, I'm giddy. That's joy. I can't sit anymore. The Bible expresses this very feeling in another word. Uh, he call, it calls it joy. Look what the Bible says about Jesus. It says, at that time, Jesus full of what? Through the? Said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven. Through the Holy Spirit. The song in Jesus' heart, because he said, I praise you, Father. And it's called joy. And true joy comes from the Lord, and it gives us strength in the face of difficulty. That's why Nehemiah said, joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus had that sort of joy. Can you believe? People often think he was dour. They think he was dour. Jesus was not. He was full of life and joy. And he got it through the Holy Spirit. Oh, my. <laughs> Loved by the other person of the Trinity, filled with joy, Jesus had the strength required to keep on going in spite of withering opposition. Isn't it true that when we feel loved and when we feel joy that we can do almost anything? We can handle almost anything. And so, just as Jesus prayed for us to experience the love of God in that same prayer, he also prayed for us to be similarly filled with joy. Did you know that? He didn't just pray that you'd be filled with God's love. He prayed that you would have joy. Take a look. Same passage, John 17, 13. Now I'm coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. How do we receive the fullness of God's love and joy? By means of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So how do we get that? There's four ways that I'm just going to touch on. Personally, asking for the filling of the Spirit in prayer. He says that in Luke chapter 11, 13. I'm going to move to the next one. Another way is by laying on hands and having somebody pray for us. It was referring to that passage that Paul prayed for them. The third way is when drawing near to God in prayer or worship. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will what? How do we draw near to God? Have you ever asked yourself that? There's two ways in which we can draw near to God. One is through clean hearts and hands. Because if we continue in verses 9 to 10 of James 4, it says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You can't hang on to your sin and then approach God. And you can't hang on to the sins in your marriage and approach God and get the joy and the love that you need from him. Can't be done. We come by means of confession and repentance. We are a confessional church. Did you know that? That's why we have the Set Free Retreat. Confession and repentance are huge for our church. They've transformed hundreds, maybe thousands of people here. But we have to repent. 
You and I will never get near him and thus never experience his love or joy if we don't repent. And the second way is praise and thanksgiving. Enter his gates with what? And his courts with praise give thanks to him. When I tell the Lord in prayer that I exist for him, or when I sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, and I do that, and sometimes I'll, I put it on repeat. And then I turn the bass up real loud, and then staff can't work for the next hour or so as I'm working, and I, I mean, I'm just singing that, and sometimes I'm so, I, I just start pacing early in the morning or late at night. I just start pacing, and some, I go like this. I close the blinds so nobody can see, and I draw near to him. And then he fills me with his spirit with such love and with such joy because in his presence is fullness of joy. This morning... I was in my devotions, Psalm 16, so I just threw this in this morning. I was reading in Acts uh, 2, verse 28, it says, You will make me full of gladness with your presence. When you enter, when you break into the circle of love, the triune love, in his presence there is gladness, there is love, there is joy. And sometimes then you can't hardly Stand it, no matter what your circumstances are. Whether it's in marriage, whatever it is, and then you will have the strength that you need to carry on. And finally, there's a fourth way to do it when submitting and obeying God's will for us. That's all we have time for. But I'm just going to refer back to Stephen because I mentioned him earlier. Stephen was doing God's will. He didn't have to come, have somebody come lay his hands on him. He didn't have to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. But because he was doing what God, and I want to expand on this. I actually wanted to expand on it today, but maybe next week. When we do God's will for us. So in the context of marriage, it would be when we give up ourselves for him. Then he fills us up. And it says about Stephen, as he was kneeling there and they were going to, about to throw the first stones, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. God sovereignly and divinely fills us with everything we need when we're in the midst of doing what we want. People chase for fulfillment. And when they chase for fulfillment, they don't get it. But we belong and exist for who? God. And when we deny ourselves and follow him and obey him, then fulfillment becomes the byproduct. That's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 16, 25, that if, that if whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but the one who loses his life, denies himself, picks up his cross to follow Jesus, even into his marriage, that person finds his life or fulfillment. And the riddle is solved. The riddle is solved. 
When we're filled with God's Spirit, we can experientially receive His love and joy, and these in turn are the strength and power that make it possible for us to give up ourselves for our spouses in marriage. This is what Grace Hebert was referring to. And so the gospel of Jesus, self-giving for the church, shows us the pattern, how marriage is supposed to work. When we follow that pattern by the same power Jesus used, then our marriage reflects back the gospel of Jesus self-giving for his church. And so the one exists for the other, and the other exists for the other. This is the great mystery of marriage unveiled. Perhaps you need prayer today for what you're going through. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you couldn't even sleep last night. You cried all night long. Or maybe you cried yourself to sleep because of the hurt and the damage in your marriage. Maybe you're a, maybe you're a child that has come out of a situation like that. It's been so hard. It's been so hurtful. You need to let your roots go down deep. As Grace Hebert said, the only hope was to connect to Jesus. And she said, without that, it would have been unlivable. End of quote. Unlivable. Perhaps you want somebody to pray for you. You can go to the prayer room after. Maybe, maybe it's not in your marriage. Maybe there's some other circumstance. The principle is the same. You need to experientially know his love and his joy, and you can only have that found in him. And maybe there's some repentance that needs to take place. You can't do a short circuit on this. We have all sinned, we all have to confess, we all have to repent. Is that true? Everybody. There is no exception at Southland. Maybe you came here today, you need Jesus. <laughs> Before I get to that, there's one other thing you need. You need to be in a small group. You need to be in community with others. You cannot walk this life by yourself. Can't do it. Nobody can. I can't do it. Nobody can. Maybe you came here, you're visiting. Maybe somebody invited you. You need Jesus today. You've been trying to do it yourself, and it didn't work. I want you to follow me in this prayer right now and receive him into your life. That's where relationship with him begins, and that's where you can come into the circle of love and experience his joy, then why don't you follow me in this prayer if this is what you desire in your heart. If something's tugging at your heart, then pray this prayer right now. Dear God, follow me, church. Dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for showing me how simple the good news is. I've been trying to do it alone, and it's humanly impossible. I'm exhausted, and I'm at the end of myself. I need your help. Right now, I ask you to forgive me for trying to do it on my own, for trying to do it my way. I realize that you came to show me a better way, a way that brings life. And I receive Jesus into my life 
forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you need to tell somebody about that, and you need to get help so you can start being discipled and to grow in following Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.